You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am Hody Johns. I'm Archie Flower. And this is Enemy of My Enemy. We are also going to be having uh, Jake Weinegrad and Brian Walgamuth joining us. They are just a few minutes late. But today we are going to talk about something that libertarians love to talk about that uh, anybody who's not a libertarian hates talking about. And uh, I wish more libertarians would be aware of that. Uh, but we're going to have a nice little rumble tonight. Anarchy versus minarchy is the subject matter. There's never a nice way of defining these phrases, and I find I am sure that we will spend a good part of this first hour talking about how we define things and how we define them personally. And so um, I'll ask each of our speakers to kind of talk about that. But we've got two pro-anarchy voices and two pro-minarchy voices. So to lead off the anarchy portion of your evening, I've got, or the minarchy portion, sorry, of your evening, I don't want to put that burden on you, Archie, uh, is Archie. Archie, go ahead, hit us with 10 minutes worth of thoughts about what minarchy, I guess, how you would define the two terms and why you find yourself in the minarchist camp. Sure, Hody. Um, just to put this out there, though, I am not, I repeat, I am not a pro-minarchist, okay? I'm an amateur minarchist. No one pays me a cent for any of this, okay? Um, so what is minarchy? What is anarchy? I would say, from my point of view, that minarchy is simply the institutional or lawful use of force to defend human rights. That's that's what it's supposed to be. What it has become is uh, the largest government in the world, the largest empire the world has ever known, not just in terms of raw power or materials, but also in you know breadth and scope, we are literally global. We spy on pretty much everyone 24-7, as Mr. Snowden revealed. Um, but the general theory and what is actually in practice are, are two very disparate things. And we need to realize that... One moment audio issue, we need to realize that theory and practice are, are, are going to stay different until we can actually manage to find a way to bring them together. And until we do that, if we don't take into account the fact that, okay, we're talking about a practical everyday discussion versus a theoretical discussion, there's going to be a lot of semantics issues and talking past each other. So let's take this back to definitions again. What I define as minarchy, it is the, I, I take it very literally, the minimum amount of government needed to run human society, the absolute minimum. 
when I call myself a minarchist, I am being a truly literal SOB. So do I want laws against um, drugs, drug use? No, I don't. Why? Because if an adult is consenting to consume some sort of drug or other, you know, substance, and they're not hurting anyone else or, or violating anyone's rights, it's nobody's business, or at least not in terms of law, not in terms of force. And we need to constantly remember that that's what this is about. When we're talking about government, we're talking about the use of force. Do I want laws against um, any particular religion? No, absolutely not. That's, in fact, one of the most vital things for me is a wall of separation between church and state. Do I want laws against any particular activity that doesn't have a victim? No. End of story. The only laws I want are where someone's rights are being violated, have been violated, or are imminently threatened with being violated. For instance, a lot of uh, libertarians will take the hardline position that drunk driving is not a, a actionable crime. I believe that it is actionable. I believe that you can absolutely pull people over and stop them from driving a 3,000 pound missile uh, when it could um, easily take the life of someone just by sheer accident. I mean, you're not intending necessarily to hurt someone, but you are loading the gun, you are waving it around, your finger is on the trigger. You know, if someone does that in an actual crowd, anyone in that crowd is justified to use force to stop it. Same thing with drunk driving. Um, and that's actually a really important point that I want to tie back into. Anyone is justified in stopping it. Minarchy isn't saying the government, you know, stands alone with this special group of powers or rights or authority. Every bit of rightful authority that the government has does come from being delegated by you and I and everyone else in society. And we can only delegate what we already have. I can't delegate, for instance, Hody, you know, going through your wallet and taking out a 20 and saying, ha this is Archie's now, although I'd like to. Can I borrow some money? No? Okay, fine. <laughs> anyway, if I don't have the power to delegate, the government shouldn't have the power to enforce. Period. That's my version of minarchy. So that means that ultimately I want a society where all money that goes to the government goes there voluntarily. And I mean truly voluntarily, truly with informed consent. You know, none of this taxation at the point of a gun, at the, at the threat of the loss of your livelihood, at the threat of being jailed, at the threat of being exiled outside of the United States, like uh, McAfee, you know, he fled to, uh, where did he go? Was it Spain? Um, this, is, this is complete BS. The government doesn't have this authority because none of us do. We can't delegate that authority, therefore the government doesn't have that rightful authority. The only thing they have is more guns.
They have might, but might does not and never has and can never make right. So minarchy to me is you, Hody, and Brian and I coming together and deciding on an institutional manner on how to use force to defend human rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In effect, there's really only two rights, in my opinion. I, I can't I can't really figure out if there's anything separate from these two categories. Self-ownership, self-autonomy. We have the you know full authority over our own lives and the right to reciprocal non-aggression. If someone aggresses against you, you are free to defend yourself and others are free to defend you as well if you can convince them to or if you just look like a sad case that needs defending or whatever you may be. Uh, it's been about seven minutes. Do you need me to go on? If you feel good, Archie, I'm sure I'm sure we can uh, stall you for some time. I, I think I've I think I've covered everything that needs to be covered. I will only say this: in all of my anarchy versus minarchy debates that produced any kind of real fruit, there was a a, a fundamental agreement that most of the disagreements were semantic. Mm -hmm. I'll just I'll just throw that out there and say that we should just end the rest of the podcast and I'll go out for a beer. As long as you're paying, Hody. Yeah, I mean, you might be disappointed, Archie, if you're going to take money from my wallet with how much you get in there. But <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> I didn't say it was a wealthy life being a, a video game writer. Um, thank you so much for your thoughts there. Uh, Archie, I, and I can tell this is probably going to be semantic as well. And it's important to understand a lot of these semantics i mean it's just when we use language we're con we're conversing in a medium that we're all supposed to share but let's be honest people can say the same words and not hear the same things and people have different experiences with these words and especially when you talk about something like anarchy you are talking about something with a millstone around its neck it is just so there's so much history there and there's so much disagreement and i am talking from the time the word was conceived, you know, Pierre Joseph Prudhomme and like onward, there are people who disagreed with what it meant to be an anarchist. Um, I am an anarchist, so it is my turn to speak now. Um, and I am specifically an anarchist in the modern sense of the word. Um, language evolves and therefore uh, my view hasn't changed. In fact, I I would say that I joined what, as I thought, was a minarchist because I love the old writings. I love studying. I love reading Marx and Prudhomme and Adam Smith and I mean, just a variety of guys and, and came to the idea that I was a minarchist because of the way they defined it. The problem is, is that the way words work, um, and this is for my brother, who's a linguistics major. Shout out to you, Woody, if you're listening. Uh, he is really good about this thing. And he says that language is whatever the majority of the speakers of that language would say that word is. So if somebody says it's a hot dog, a sandwich, it actually is if a majority or plurality of the people would say that, yes, it is a sandwich, then it is a sandwich because most people would say, no, we can try to define it. But the problem is, is when we start using definitions, we get away from that language. We can say, well, by definition, because we put that bread, because it's meat between bread and there's a, some kind of sauce in there sometimes, it's technically a sandwich. The thing is, we can't be very 
technical about this. And we need to let a lot of those definitions go when we talk to other people because they'll have preconceived ideas of what anarchy and minarchy is. Anarchism has evolved into a, a movement that I actually can get on board with because I was big on the early minarchist writings that said government should be voluntary, government should be transparent, and government should be accountable. Those are kind of the magic three. And everybody listening is like, dude, that's anarchy. It's not until you go like 10 years ago and after. And so for me, it's really a major shift in the modern anarchist movement. Anarchy has grown up since its early days. When you are reading some of those early anarchists, you're reading about and I am not even joking about this. You're reading a lot about a lot of genocide, a lot of death, a lot of here's why you have to murder your neighbors, a lot of here's why you're not allowed to talk to your neighbors, a lot of here's why you're allowed to talk to your neighbors about certain things, because anarchism was assumed to only be possible with a with no hierarchies, and this included intellectual. Um, hierarchy. So you weren't allowed to know more than your neighbor. And there were some creative, everybody had a creative way around it, right? There was like very few people, I mean, there were some, but very few people that were like, if you're too smart, we have to give you a lobotomy or something. But there was a lot of, let's have you know a lot about plumbing and you know a lot about carpentry and then you two are never allowed to converse, right? Like, and that's to me ludicrous, right? That requires a force that the state that would make the state look like less of a state, right? Like it, it, it would require so much, uh, so much invasiveness. Now I know I've spent my first few minutes here dunking on the old anarchists. My thing is they got the ball rolling, much like how we can say, hey, the founding fathers didn't get it perfect, but they got the ball rolling into something great. Maybe they didn't have everything right about freedom of speech, but hey, here's at least they took a step forward. I appreciate the anarchists of old for getting this ball rolling. I accept their imperfections, and I believe that we are in a better place now to where we can actually talk about anarchy and, and have really, like a really good place for it. Um, my basic problem with minarchy, fallen man presiding over the fallen man. Uh, if mankind is imperfect, giving mankind authority over other mankind is hardly, <laughs> uh, hardly going to call for perfection. In fact, the idea of running for a position that is a position of leadership will naturally attract somebody who wants that kind of authority. If you want to lead and rule over other people, it will naturally appeal to you. Um, the rule of law is always imperfect. I strongly dislike the rule of law because there is always a way to make everything justifiable. Um, and classic morality decisions, when people talk about ethics, they always say, well, is this ever permissible? And somebody will say no. And you can almost always make some contrived position in which it is permissible. And so common sense tells us what is ethical much of the time. Unfortunately, when we attempt to codify something that sounds like common sense and then some particular crazy situation happens, we find ourselves saying this law was imperfect. Case in point, uh, eminent domain targeted the mafia with it. We said, hey, we got to get rid of the mafia. They're clearly operating this ice cream store to try and sell liquor. They're beating people up in the back. Hey, it's just going to be against the mob, right? Well, obviously, eminent do domain grew well beyond something that anybody had ever conceived. That's because of the way the law was written, made it possible to abuse. And when you hold people to that standard, then all of a sudden they say, well, this is the way it always is. As a Christian, I have a, I have a 
I have an attachment with anarchy. I actually didn't come to anarchy because of my religion, but I was recommended this book called The Kingdom of God is Within You. And it really impressed upon me that these are two, that, that, that nationalism and governments are irreconcilable with, with my faith, the way I practice my faith. If you are a minarchist Christian, I, I'm not saying that you can't do it. It's just the way that I understood it. I just I was unable to make that different in my mind. And one of the things the Pharisees tried to chip, trip Jesus up on was to say, "Oh, you're not supposed to work on Sunday, or you're supposed to take a certain amount of steps and not deviate to the synagogue on Sunday, right? But what if an ox falls in the mire? You're supposed to save your ox too. Oh, those laws contradict, and you better not save your ox, right? Because obviously, going to church is more important." And Jesus is like, of course you save your ox. These laws aren't meant to contradict. They're supposed to be common sense and you're supposed to understand what they are in their heart. And this is his explanation. And so the thing is, is and in fact, frequently, even in the Old Testament, although we know the Old Testament for these archaic and terrible laws, God is frequently telling them, I do not like laws. I do not like the rule of law. I do not want to give you any laws at all. And these... <laughs> These people end up writing them anyway because they find that they must or believe that they have to. And these laws, because they get codified, they sound like good ideas. It sounds like a good idea to say nobody can cheat on their spouse. But then you find somebody who has an impregnable divorce contract and somebody who's abusive and some extenuating set of circumstances. And suddenly we're stoning somebody for having a meaningful relationship that was way better than their marriage was. And this is why I don't feel that the rule of law can ever be codified. Can ever Law should not be codified. Common sense can't be codified. We'd like to try to have altruisms, but ultimately nothing is more important than that love. <clears throat> the minimum will differ from person to person. When we say, what's the minimum amount of government we should have? Minarchists will typically disagree. Archie, for example, suggested uh, drinking and driving, that that should be cut down on. Some people will suggest minarchy, uh, we should have a border, but not much else, like a strongly enforced border, but not much else, or a really strong social safety net, but nothing else. And the problem is, is that until there's consensus there, the minarchists are in, in it's a tough thing to define because everybody's minimums are different to say this is the minimum of human de decency. Now, myself as an anarchist, I actually have relatively high minimums. Um, what I would say is necessary. I believe in positive rights. I believe that it's not just, it's not just liberty. It's that we need to create a culture that empowers people to embrace and love that liberty. And that means using people's pronouns if they want to. That means that we help our neighbors out when they're in times of trouble. I'm very anti-brutalist in this way to say that we need as a community to take these tasks upon ourselves to care for our neighbors and our friends and our family. And we need to take that very seriously and build them up because individualism doesn't work if individuals don't feel their individual value is very good. And so I actually have a very strong, uh, strong opinions about the type of culture and climate that anarchists need to create for themselves. Um, and that's why I believe that th the reason I'm bringing this up is because I do think that there, we need to address the elephant in the room here for both of us. Why hasn't minarchy worked? Why hasn't anarchy worked? My specifics with anarchy is we haven't tried developing an anarchist culture. We've attempted it a few times. We've tried to get really hardcore on the philosophy. We had some ANCOM countries, it's nations of people that that 
cropped up that made it for a few decades and then and then an authoritarian came in and wiped them all out. We need to say, what was the problem? What do we learn from these lessons that makes it so that anarchy or minarchy is possible? For me, I don't have a solid answer of how minarchy would work. I do have a pretty solid answer of how anarchy would work because I feel that individual that feels empowered, that believes in themselves, that trusts in themselves, and then has other people around them that they build up their communities and the people that they know can form an anarchist society by everybody having that strong conscience. Now, not everybody is going to have the same conscience, but there's also a conscionable way to disagree, to disagree, right? Uh, a big one here when we talk about homesteading, how property works. Property is always convoluted when we talk about it in in various circles. It is very difficult to define what makes property personal. Yet we all kind of accept that it's somebody's right, somebody that we should be able to have property. Some would say land. Some would say you're allowed to own your toothbrush. Some some would say, well, who's who are you to say I'm allowed to own a thousand acres or one acre or whatever it may be. But there becomes a point like when a plant buys the only drinking source because they bought it from a government institution where we all kind of go like, yeah, that's not, that's not right. And so you kind of know it when you see it, but it's hard to exactly put into words. And I think we need more of those instances where we put them into words. Or how about when somebody builds a house too close to another house, or it's technically their property, but you've obstructed their view and you decrease their land values. There's so many complex issues that if we try to get into it and litigate and make a law out of every single one, we're, it's never going to end. And we're going to end up with a bunch of laws that oppress a bunch of people that make nobody free except the elite few who establish these and know the ins and outs and have crony allies. Indeed, that's what's happened. So I do feel really a real strong attachment with anarchy at this point in my life. And it was a debate with Larkin Rose and really Larkin just said, you've been an, an anarchist all along. You just don't know it. But that would come as a surprise. It's just to, to, the, to everybody in history that's called themselves an anarchist would probably not consider me an anarchist. But it's just this feeling that I have inside of myself. This is the right way to do things now. It is a personal thing. I accept that it's also an opinion. A lot of this has a lot to do with my faith. A lot of it has a lot to do with my observations. But I understand that other people's observations and experiences are going to be different. And that's why I think it's important to have conversations and debates like this one. Um, Brian, it is now your turn with some more minarchy. And then hopefully we bought enough time for uh, Jacob, Jacob to join us and give his view on anarchy, and then we can have a few minutes of discussion. So go ahead, Brian. Tell us how you feel about minarchy, what it means to you. Um, real simple. The state's awesome. You guys are wrong. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Darn. I'm done. Hey, I win. No. That does it for um, the show, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Archie and, and Hody, you guys touch on some great points. But the thing is that I kind of come to this from a pragmatic perspective, maybe. Um, I, I'm agnostic, so um, I, I, I have a Christian background. Um, so I, I view a lot of different things about perfection and things like that, uh, I think, in a slightly different lens. But um, it comes down to the, the minimum state that we need to be able to keep the to improve society. I, I, I think that's the that's the primary figure right there um do we need a police force there are a lot of people on both the left and right that would love to get rid of the police um but 
what replaces that and is it necessarily going to be better um if we're having gunfight the okay corral in a lot of places um does that make us a better society or is everybody paranoid then about leaving their homes and going to work so there's i think some things we can do to make things better um but you know the reality is there's going to be a law of the state that unfortunately that we as humanity have to live by and the one the big part is obviously looking at the ability to have a monopoly on force uh, when it comes to laws and things like that. This can tends to tick off a lot of anarchists. But uh, the you know the question, like you said, Hody, the divorce case, the person that you know, if we change the law to where you or change it to where there's a contract that you can never get out of a marriage, and may have made great sense, you know, when you were 19, uh, and makes terrible sense when you're 25. And have that enforceable by possibly, you know, either extreme, you know, cruelty or death is probably not a contract that we as a society want to go ahead and allow to happen. So it gets down to the end of it, basically, of what we have right now isn't working. We know that. Uh, can it be better? Absolutely can be better. But right now, I think the idea that we can either turn it down to, to like 0 0.1 or 0 is probably not going to make society better overall, especially in the interdependent, technologically advanced society that we're in right now. Um, I would. There are many ways to do that, but I think we can talk about when we get into the meat of it. Well, cool. Thank you. Uh, thank you for both for your thoughts there. Jacob is not here quite yet, so I guess we can start a little bit of discussion before he gives his exact thoughts. Um, Ron, by the way, I see your comment now. Uh, if you're having trouble following along, sometimes the internet can be a finicky thing. Uh, but I think I think we're okay. Everything's looks stable on our part. Um, all right, so let's. I, I wanted to ask everybody um, this, and and let's start with this question because I wanted to make sure everybody got a shot to answer it. I'll start with you, Archie, and I'll have to answer it myself. How do we do minarchy in a way that it actually stays minarchy? How do we how do we make that change? That because because governments have tried this before and it just hasn't worked out. You've noted it in your opening statement. What do we do differently this time that makes it different than last time? I would contend that even if we start anarchy, if we don't have a way to preserve that state against human nature, we will see a state arise and continue to grow. I would say that one of the best ways to make sure that that growth can't happen is that we need a, a literal mechanism for the people of each, you know, whatever polity it is, to hold those people in authority very directly accountable. For instance, if a politician votes for an unconstitutional law, say a, a magazine size ban, you know, you can't have a 30 round magazine, which is flatly against the constitution of most states and certainly against the second amendment, if not um, other portions of the federal constitution. Any politician violating their oath should be charged with perjury and the people themselves should be able to levy that charge. And what you then have in effect is Jefferson's let's have a revolution every so often idea 
literally put into practice any time a politician tries to threaten someone's rights. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll answer the question before I make uh, you answer here, Brian. Because um, anarchy has had some some problems. Uh, the debate that I went into, Larkin Rose, in fact, this was it, almost the entire crux of my argument. I love history, and anarchy's happened a few times, and it's tur- exactly what you said, Archie. It's turned into statism either instantaneously, and in some ways to look at it, it was kind of always statism, but the people didn't have papers. They just had a lot of violence. Um, there was somebody who uh, went to Jamaica once when Jamaica was considered an anarchy. And uh, the businessman, after he left, was like, you know, these people are calling themselves anarchists, but this is this is aristocracy. Like, it's just aristocracy without being codified. Um, and that and that kind of is is illustrates a lot of what anarchists, I think, need to address more of. Um, because this is the hangup with our history. So, of course, we have to address it. Um, for me, I think the biggest difference comes from culture. Um, I'm glad I'm saying this without Jacob here because this is, while we are both anarchists, I think he will probably disagree with me a little bit on this one. But I think a strong culture is required to have that anarchy. This is actually one of the reasons that when I look at the Bible and I'm like, well, if anarchy is so important, why wasn't Jesus talking about all the time? All he was talking about was love and culture and respect and healing and building and construction. And I was like, oh, wait, maybe that's what you have to do first is have that in place. I have, I have played with politics. I've diddled around with politics. I've always worked on some campaign staffs and such. I'm pretty much done with it at this point. I don't, I'm not one of those people. I actually stand by my, my other debate with Larkin Rose about voting, uh, another good one that you should see. Um, Because I still believe that if there is a way to make less evil, you should make less evil. Uh, you, you should do what you can to stand up against it. I don't really see the political avenue right now as functional, um, which is why I've kind of abandoned it. But I do stand up by what I said. If there's a law that says, hey, all drug offenders out of prison, heck yeah, I'm voting on that, you know? And I'm not just going to say, well, it's unethical to hit, a hit, a hit. It's like, hey, no, like sometimes this is what needs to happen. Um, but I do think there's a cultural there's a cultural build that has to happen. Politics is always downstream of culture. And I think that if we really want that anarchy, we have to make a cultural difference first. Um you know, like, like Jesus Christ or like Martin Luther King or like, however it may be, you just say, I need to build up and empower these people. What you had is a lot of people that were, especially during the fall of feudalism, there's actually this beautiful time of anarchy after the fall of feudalism. But what happens is then more Kings and Lords take over and they they had no real defense against it. Um, because there was just this, there wasn't this, this feeling of freedom and it takes work. Uh, I'm going to give you another biblical example here, but the the Jews when they are leaving Egypt, um, it's not like they stopped. They it's not like they became freedom lovers when they were released. It took them 40 years, and during those 40 years, they built a golden calf. They t- they begged to go back to Pharaoh. They they said, "Hey, look, at least he gave us." guaranteed food. At least we had guaranteed work. At least we had all these other great things. And it takes time, right? It takes time and work. And we can't just hope to replace a pharaoh with another pharaoh and then hope that that leads to some kind of anarchy or whatever it may be. Um, 
So like for me, I think the way anarchy needs to be different and what makes it more different, what people are kind of starting to do, a lot of that agorism stuff about just saying, I'm going to live this life. I'm going to encourage other people to live this life too. And then I'm going to carry on a culture. Now, obviously not all anarchists <clears throat> live up to this, especially the most vocal ones, but I'm going to live a life that teaches love and peace and kindness and respect and compassion. And that's really when people would kind of say, if you have a large culture that you start to see the state's aggression is something more sinister. When they take their violence out on like, like drunk drivers, it's hard for me to suggest the state is invalid if I constantly rail against how they pull out over drunk drivers, because that's a dumb decision that puts other people's life, lives at risk, including their own life, that could hurt people. Even if I think they shouldn't enforce it, it's not a great place for me to take a stand. Whereas when they go around pouring bleach and food that we give to the homeless, suddenly people look at anarchy and they say, okay, you know what, maybe they got a point. And we need more of those instances of them saying maybe they've got a point. Um, and I just feel like that's the better way to go about it. Um, I'm also big on peaceful revolution. I think that's one of the other times to get there, but that's probably a whole, I think violent or peaceful revolution is probably a conversation for a different day. Uh, Brian, how do we keep minarchist government minarchist? Oh, you're still muted. Sorry about that. There you go. <laughs> um, I hit the button and I hit the wrong button. Um, the, the first thing we have to look at um, with minarchism is trying to work the existing system downward. Um, the, the best way to do that is look at where the biggest spending is, because I got news for you. The corruption comes from the spending. So if I, you know, we're not looking to What's up, make... bitches? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna wait for him to peacefully join. I probably yeah. should have left him out of the right side. The all right. Really. What are you? What are you filthy statists doing? All right. What are you talking <laughs> oh, okay. about? Okay. Well, this will be fun. <laughs> so, um, before I was so rudely interrupted here, um, <laughs> um, the thing is this: is that no one is looking at uh, you know, like the spend in the NASA budget. Although, yes, it is full of 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 garbage and um, uh basically uh the word i'm looking for here is um uh wasted money and um and, and corruption inside of it um the big ones are where the big dollars are where we're spending a trillion dollars a year on uh on basically health human services things like that to be able to prop up various departments that are just basically just cash uh gives to all the large businesses and things like that but this kind of gets, how do we dial that back? And I think the simplest way to do that is simply to say that all of these big programs are the responsibility of the states. That's your first easy step. Right there, if you take Social Security, you take, uh, you take all these uh, health programs, the medical programs, and things like that, push them back to the states and let the states figure out how to run them. Get the feds out of the business because A, it stops the feds from printing money. And B, it puts the onus on the states to be able to be better at what they're doing. I got news here: a lot of these, a lot of these states want to do better in some cases, and there are companies that do things better. But by the way, the government, especially the feds, have structured things. There's no incentive for competition. If anything, there's the exact opposite. Yeah, uh, you better you better be along in line with what everybody else is doing and not rock the boat. Because if you rock the boat, got news for you, we're going to make life miserable for you. You're going to have to take whatever profits you make and give them to the others that aren't really doing much and keep the ship going forward. 
and maybe we'll go ahead and get our politicians to throw you out for whatever BS reason. So uh, two things though I wanted to, a couple things I wanted to address through. Number one, Archie, when you first said magazine, magazine size ban, uh, I originally thought it was thinking of Rolling Stone magazine and thinking, why the hell would we worry about the size of the magazine? But I think they're going to thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, perjury, though, um, I think that you, you, you kind of destroy the balance of the state. Uh, we have three pillars, the executive, legislative and judicial in theory sometimes. Um, but I think you put a lot of onus on the judicial branch and give them a lot of power to be able to, you know, lean one way or another. If you look at a lot of Supreme Court decisions, um, they're not, you know, 9-0. They're 5-4, 4-5. Very close decisions that can say something's constitutional or unconstitutional. And with a decision being a pretty much a yay or nay, um, don't get me wrong, you can get into the intricacies of it. Uh, I don't think any sane person want to sign their name to it with the th idea that they're going to do hard time because somebody is feeling like he owes somebody a favor in the Supreme Court and says, you know what? Yeah, that law is right. But you know what? There's this interpretation, getting back to what Hody was talking about earlier, that, you know, what? I think that's a little different. So I'm going to say it's unconstitutional and you're going to jail. Yeah. So, um. The idea, also the idea of a revolution every 20 years is, is a lovely idea uh, if you like murdering about 10, 5, 10% of your population every 10 years, 20 years. So, you know, hey, whatever works for you guys. Um, Hody, well, I think uh, getting back to what you said about agorists, um, I think 80% of the population is right there with you. We just want to put our heads down, get our jobs done, leave us alone, get the government out of our lives and be able to live our lives there's 10 percent of us that probably are a little crazy and probably have other psych issues that will prevent that and then there's the 10 percent that honestly i don't want to use the term evil but boy they're really self-centered and want to get into politics usually and there's the people that keep getting drawn in so um but how do we get rid of evil have uh, if someone has a formula for it let me know because i got news here we've been trying to do it for you know millennia now and not had really any good luck with it but what i've seen happens is if people aren't bored and they aren't losing in society, they generally end up being good people and they don't get drawn into it. So that's one way to do it. Um, lastly, you know, when success, everything else, empowerment brings the best out of humanity overall. Um, getting rid of government isn't going to make people more successful or more empowered. Uh, getting it down towards the least amount of influence in their lives, that's going to make them more successful and empowered. And that's where I think we have to have at least a set of laws that we all agree upon. No, we didn't sign on at birth, but the reality is we're here. We live in a culture. We have to abide by laws. We don't want 7.2 billion states running around laughing at all you want uh, with uh, legal papers being Sheldon Cooper's wet dream of, of uh, roommate agreements and stuff like that. Hey, I'm sitting next to you on the bus. Please sign this 20-page disclaimer so you can sit next to me type of thing. So, <laughs> All right. We live in a society. We live All in right. a society. You're good. <laughs> no, Jacob, it's actually going to be your turn. Give us up to 10 uh, minutes about what anarchy and minarchy mean to you and why you've chosen anarchy. And then I'm going to give you the same question I gave everybody else once you're done with that. So, So hit me with the anarchy. I'm an anarchist because I don't believe you can get rid of human evil, um, like Brian was talking about. But 
a good start would be to stop institutionalizing it. Um, let me define what anarchy is in my mind. Um, anarchy is not chaos. Anarchy is not no rules. Anarchy is not. Anarchy is not everybody just doing whatever they want to do with no consequences. Okay, so if if at any point the rest of the con- the rest of the podcast the debate against anarchy is, you know, we need rules and chaos is bad, then those are strawman arguments against anarchism as as I'm laying it out. Anarchism just means its simplest expression that no human being has the right to enslave another human being. That is literally it. It means no masters. It means that everyone owns themselves. So then people will, will, will um, you know, reflexively go, but, but what about this? And that's really the argument against what I just laid out isn't that people go, well, no, slavery is great. I mean, you know, uh, some people maybe, but for the most part, there's not a lot of people arguing against anarchism because they like the idea of people owning other people or the idea that, you know, of people stealing other people's property, because that is what the state does. The state is a institution of coercion. If you don't believe me, try not paying your taxes. See what happens. <laughs> it's pretty, you know, the, 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 it, it's not voluntary at all. And if you say voluntary taxation, that's like saying consensual uh, rape. It's just, you know, th- these terms don't go together. I'm sorry. Um, so the state is an institution of coercion. If something is important, if something needs to be done in society, I understand when like a communist or socialist isn't down with the complete abolition of government, but when fellow people who call themselves libertarians and who understand capitalism and understand free markets don't understand anarchism, I just think, I, I guess you guys don't really understand or really trust free markets because if you want something done, the best way, the best, yes, now Brian's laughing now. <laughs> the, the, I muted the for a way, reason because I knew that was going to happen. Continue. The, 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 the best way to make sure that something is done and that something is done effectively is that people are incentivized if they do a good job and disincentivized or there's some kind of uh, market consequence if they do a bad job. And I think Archie and Brian would agree with me in terms of that basic market principle, that this is why free markets work. Oh, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm not at all disagreeing with that. There's a lot of others, but please continue. Yeah. So we we, we agree on on that is why free markets work is because um, because of because of this this uh, those incentives I laid out there. What the statist has to prove, the minarchist has to prove is that um, the market is incapable of handling uh, the things that the statist thinks a monopoly of power, a monopoly of centralization is uh, required for. It's not up to me to prove because um, it's, like, it's, like, it's like proving a negative. And it's like, you know, even though I'm a Christian, it's kind of like when the atheist is to say, like, you know, if a, if a, if a, if a Christian, like if I go to Archie's an, an atheist, or at least not a Christian, if I go to Archie and, and I say, it's your job to prove God doesn't exist, he would be right to say, no, it's your job to prove he does exist if you're trying to force the idea of belief in God on me. And that, that is correct, by the way. That is the, that is the correct answer um, in, a, in a philosophical argument. In the, but in the same way, 
Okay. Like my belief is that humans don't have the right to initiate force against other people. That is the non-aggression principle, correct? We believe that the initiation of force is always immoral. And that, that is really what this debate about anarchism versus minarchism is. It's not about um, even just like the consequences of, of market governance versus monopoly governance. It is about, um, it, is, it is really an argument over morality and ethics. And it is, it is really getting down to the nitty gritty of, of do you own yourself or are you um, just because you were born in a specific geographic area um, owned by a pre-existing um, government structure that you didn't consent into, that you didn't sign anywhere. And I'm sorry, the social contract is not a good answer to this. It's just not. Um, we we would reject that. The, the problem is that there's there's a, morality doesn't have this ambiguity to it that the minarchists think that it does. Um, you know, as an anarchist, I can say that murder is wrong. I can say that it is always wrong to to kill someone. I can say that theft is wrong. I can say it's always wrong to take something that belongs to somebody else. The minarchist has to make all these exceptions and then justify it. And I've never heard a good justification other than, well, you know, like, like the only consistent minarchist position is, well, it is evil, but it's a necessary evil. And it's like, okay, but then we're going to have a conversation about how you think that the only way that, you know, we, we can get things done is through, like, you know, you, you've already, to me, given up the argument at that point. Because um, if something, it, it, way, if something is so important in your mind, like the only way to get X is that we have to do evil to get it. I'm going to say, you know, we probably don't need X. I'm sorry. Like we can probably live with it. If the only way, if the only way that we could have roads was that we had to steal from people and threaten force against them, I would say screw roads. We don't need roads. But fortunately, it is actually not that hard to lay out flat pieces of flat, flat stretches of asphalt. You know what I mean? The government, here's the thing. The government doesn't do anything. The government is a euphemism. The government is just a label for people. The government doesn't really exist, people. The government is just a label for the actions of other individuals. Always. You know, there, there's always a person doing something. So when... When I say that anarchism isn't the rejection of, of governance or the rejection of rules, like listen, I want there to be courts. I want there to be I want there to be security. I want there to be um, a lot of the thing like a, a lot of this is not that I want a completely different society in, ter in terms of like, you know, I, like I think we should all move back into the jungle, you know what I mean? And <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a, like an anarcho primitivist or something silly like that. Like I'm not against um, a lot of these societal norms. What I'm saying is that you don't need a system called the state that exists through the initiation of coercion to get these things. That there is actually a lot of good arguments from anarchists, uh, but and not even just of anarchists on the right, of anarchists on the left too, on how these things can be provided by the market, on how how social cooperation through the market can provide for a lot of these things that we want. Um, you know, there are ways to have contracts enforced without uh, a monopoly entity that exists through the initiation of force. And that's all I'm arguing for here. I'm arguing for moral consistency. I am saying that if murder is wrong and theft is wrong, and what's that libertarian mantra? It's wrong to hurt people and take their stuff. No exceptions. There are oh, no, no exceptions. I, I, I don't think. 
I'm sorry. I'm going to chime in on this one here. You, you own a food stand. Five-year-old comes up, takes an apple off your food stand. Do you have the right to shoot them? No. Okay. You've just destroyed your entire argument right there. No, I didn't. They took from you. And reciprocity. As a private actor. Hang on here. Hang on. Let me finish. Reciprocity. Reciprocity. Okay. So wait. So you are putting morality into this and you're putting limits on this. No, I'm saying. Yeah, you are. You just a did. A violation. No, a violation of the NAP just can did. be corrected. But if somebody steals, like if a five-year-old comes up to me and takes an apple from me and then I kill him. Yeah. I'm not uh, the ridiculousness uh, of that argument. No, no. Hang on here. This is what the ridiculousness of your argument is, unfortunately. You just said there's no social contract. I didn't sign up for this. Okay. And then you said private enterprise is going to handle this in a societal way. Society is going to come in and handle all of these pieces without enforcement of the state. So that five-year-old comes up and steals that apple from your apple cart. That's theft. You just said theft is always wrong. So is murder. Murder is always wrong. And you, under the uh, ability to own your own property and own your own things, have a right to either retrieve your property or enforce that somehow. So what is the definition of where that line is? And where is it in this contract that I now have to make with 7 billion other people to keep track of? By the way, lawyers will love freaking anarchy. My God, you'd be pages and pages of stuff. I need a freaking, I need a car just to carry around all the consensual agreements I have. How do you handle that? Yeah. Oh, chop off his head. Yeah, there you go. There you go. We do that. We already have a country five, that does that. It's called Saudi Arabia. If a five-year-old comes and takes my apple, I'd probably just be like, okay, you took my apple. Okay. Right. I don't know. It's but, an apple. But it's a thing. That's not you. That's you. That is you. Now, the guy who owns the apple cart, let's just say he's that 10% who's like, you know what? I worked my ass off for that apple. And that was a great apple that kid took. And hey, he was just being a little bastard. And he stole it from me. So now I'm going to take force out on him for doing it as a disincentive for everybody else to realize, don't screw with my apple cart. Brian, your argument is that without the state, we're going to shoot five-year-olds for stealing apples? No, but there's make sure but without, the state, here. without the state, there's no way in your world to punish that guy because that guy's going to come back and say, hey, it was a non-consensual activity that a five-year-old did. And you know what? He did that. And guess what? I got my piece back. I got my apple back. I'm taken care of. I'm happy now because you've gone ahead and said that the state, all no, they the do. Things don't the things don't equate. There, there's no, there's really? no, cult, there's no culture of people unless they, I mean, this way. Really? Only, Would you like argument, examples? <laughs> so Brian, a, culture, a culture of people that are so depraved that they would justify the killing of a five-year-old for taking an apple are going to be just as depraved under a state as they would be without a state. Oh, I'm the not disagreeing with you. The state, the well, state isn't going to, the state is not going to solve. If a culture is that depraved, that that, that it would be socially acceptable to kill a five year old for taking an apple from from your from your fruit stand. Oh yeah. That culture is not going to be made better by the introduction of monopoly of force. Oh it's no, I'm not. not I'm not. Be. I'm not disagreeing with you. But what I'm saying is that your idea. That there's some sort of magic power sitting there that's going to say we're all going to magic. It's get just along. people. It's not magic. It's called the free market. It's called oh called the free market. Okay, but guess what? I just free marketed that kid's head off so I could get my apple back. Okay, but while we're yeah. speaking of examples, Brian, yeah. I decided to do a little Google search on what happens when a kid steals 
uh, from a business and I'm right. looking at several examples or five or oh, six year olds and uh, yeah, of them going to juvenile hall until they're oh, yeah. being taken Terrible. away from their families, forced from them. So what oh, you're saying oh, yeah. is, I don't believe that in an anarchist society that people would accept Jacob's business that shoots people, for, shoots five-year-olds for taking their apple. Right. We live in a current society, in a current government that has evolved to the point where it is now putting children in prison. Right. So, so how does this minarchy, how, how is codifying, how would you codify, because you have to codify it, right? This is the, this is the minarchist well. position. Codify it. You have to make a law that deals with this because yeah. Jacob and I are just going to try to use common sense. And yeah, you're saying common sense might be different. Now you right. have to make the counter argument. You're not allowed. You must use a law. And so give me a very specific law that makes it so that this five-year-old doesn't have any force, but it's also not going to, it's also going to protect the business. It's kind of what we do right now. The shopkeeper goes, give me back my damn apple or I'm calling your parents. And the five-year-old, if they're with the parent, the parent, if they're a decent person, goes, oh, my goodness, I am so sorry. Here, let me pay you for the apple. Or the shopkeeper calls the police, but the police walk up and generally go, here, put the damn apple back. Now, does that happen every time? No, of course not, because we don't live in a perfect society. In fact, we live in a far from perfect society where in the U.S., yes, kids are being put in jail because they talk back to their teacher because they they looked funny because they wouldn't change their shirt because they showed too much shoulder or too much knee in class or something something totally ridiculous but that's not a well look the state has failed problem because if that was the case we would have most of our children in jail already and we don't are there too many? No, we just Absolutely. we just wait until they're until they're, until they're sixteen and they have a little bit of weed so, on them, or, you just or we just drop bombs. Just or we just, or we just drop bombs on the 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 brown. Oh no! Don't don't get me world. wrong. Don't get me wrong. Trust me. I, I I I the state the state that sits there and goes, you know, yeah, it's okay that I bombed a wedding, but I think I got the guy we were looking for, kind of thing. Trust me, I'm not defending that. In fact, I would love to see those people hauled off in front of a judge, have a fair trial, and then promptly put in jail for the charges that are there. I would love that. But the problem is we have too much power in Washington, D.C. We have too much power in London. We have too much power in Moscow. All of these big centralized governments are too powerful. And yes, the idea is, like, oh, Brian, you're making the anarchist argument. Well, yeah, I could. I could make the anarchist argument in that. Please one, do, but I won't because number <laughs> one, I know in reality shows over Brian's making the anarchist <laughs> argument. I'm yeah. not going to because here's the thing. <laughs> number one, number one. I'm just going to say this: if, what? if Brian converts right now, I won't be converting. So it would be one to three. I'm not um, going to make it. <laughs> he's going to make anarchists. Anarchists <laughs> make the argument that that government is evil. There should be getting get rid of it, right? If the government is going to be inherently evil, I got news for you. There's a lot of things about people that are inherently evil as well. Sure. Get rid I, but, of I, but my point is, let's not to, institutionalize. The oh, evil. sure. Okay. Then how do you how do you handle it? Because you said in your thing that everything would be handled by mutual agreement. Because the market is infinitely more correctable and oh. influenceable than government is. Trying to Wham. roll back tyrannical government is nearly impossible. In fact, okay. it, like the only way that you usually that, that tyrannical governments become less tyrannical is because they either collapse under their own weight eventually or there's violent revolution and they might set the clock back a little bit. 
Uh, it, it depends on the country. I mean, Chile is doing pretty well. And some of the other countries that I grew up with that were dictatorships are generally doing well. Look at Spain. I mean, Spain, hell, was under Franco only 70 years ago. And Spain's a vibrant democracy. But I want to get back to one more thing. The argument that I love the most about libertarians is, I'm going to say it, I'm going to use the word, the R word, roads. Okay. So in a private, in a private world, if I build a road and I charge people, or I let people use it. Do I have a right to tell someone they can't use my road? Yes. Okay. Um, me and my buddy who control all the roads in town don't like Jacob. Jacob, I'm sorry. You cannot use our roads. Okay. Okay. Well, have a good life. Oh, by the way, anyone cannot deliver to Jacob. You cannot go to Jacob's. If you go to Jacob's, you get banned as well. The worst so, case, so the, the, even if I grant you this hypothetical that is extremely like uh, private property. fantastical. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. How's, it, how's it fantastical? It's private property. I don't want to take the risk. Let's say that you're a psycho. The idea driver. that an entire community would be so biased against one person. Oh, the criminal. Now, if your argument is I'm a criminal, maybe that's no. different. But if no. I'm not a criminal, the idea that uh, <laughs> What's an your incentive entire here? community yeah. of people is, is incentivized to keep me locked in my house is a right. little bit of a kind of like silly, How? like How? fantastic. It's not silly at all. Hang on here. Hang on here. Jacob, you buy a road, you buy a house in this lovely subdivision and you decide to be an asshole because you can be. Okay. You know what? I can be. Excuse me. Some of my neighbors think I am already as well. All of a sudden they go ahead and say, you know what? We don't want you using the road. The HOA paid for the road and you have no right to use it because it's private property. Right, but you're assuming that there would be a community in which all roads would be owned by either by one person one who would hate out. me or by everybody. There'd be a lot of different competing roads, but somehow I've managed to piss every single person off no. equally to the point where they won't I, accept. Because, again, um, no, you're, businesses, you're businesses that have a habit of refusing customers for silly, stupid reasons tend to not be financially viable over the right. long term. You know what I mean? But, like, so but if, someone I, owns, if somebody right. owns a road and they have a habit of like, oh, every time I find somebody I don't like, I won't let them on my road. Then it's like, not it, only are they creating an incentive yeah. for a competitor to come in and be like, okay, we'll come use my road. But also sure. the person, like, like, again, like, like a lot of times we, even the minarchist will be like, um, there are a lot of minarchists who would say that businesses would even in, a minarchist state would have the right to discriminate based on race or sex. But oh, the idea yeah. is that those businesses would go out of business over time because like they're if, if you're not hiring the best person possible, if you're hiring just based on race or sex, and then you're excluding a lot of customers for those stupid reasons, like you have a right to do it, but you're you're just not going to be as competitive and your business model yeah. is just Jacob, flawed in a way that's going to fail. Can, yeah. can I put this in a way I think Brian would agree? Yeah, sure. Your half acre in this neighborhood is entirely surrounded by the road. I that knew we were going to get this. I knew it. The entrapment argument. That's where he's going. But but, but, but but that's the thing. I live in I live in a subdivision that unfortunately don't even get me started about HOAs. Um, but it has one road out. Has one road out, and all the land surrounding me is owned by other people. So if somebody came in, and HOAs do own the roads. They can sit there and they can do this as part of commercial law. Now, you can go ahead and say, well, that's commercial law. But in an anarchist world, in an anarchist world, it's all community. It's all based on, right. you know, the whole idea that we all, you know, have agreements you, and things like that. Give me like 
four to five minutes to make a, a, a brief point here. And then I'll let Hody go whatever direction he wants to go with okay. this. I want to make a brief point here. Okay. A lot of the arguments against anarchy that, that, that you've made, Brian, a lot of the people people make, they they make it make a, a uh, assumption about the culture. That's sort of the point I was trying to make earlier. Oh no. And 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 so um because they'll be like, well, what if what if what if people do this or what if people do that? And then the solutions that anarchists give are to be like, okay, but like, you know, people for the most part, even if there are some bad apples, people tend to act in, in rational self-interest. Right. And that people um, most cultures kind of have a, okay, like, you know, murder is bad, theft is bad, rape is bad, holding people hostage is bad. And and yeah. a lot of the, the solutions that anarchists have come up with for these things like the, the road encircling your property and you're trapped and stuff like that, or the apple analogy that you gave, um, they're solved by just like, like, okay, well, basic social conventions would hold out that like, if that, you know, the idea of reciprocity for one, that like, if somebody wrongs you, your right to uh, rectify that violation of your property rights is only justified up to the point of a reciprocal, like restoring back to that neutral point. If you go above and beyond that, now you're the one initiating aggression. And most people understand that, like, this is a basic part of, you know, most societies, most cultures. People understand the idea of reciprocity, that, like, if you come up and slap me and I burn my and, and, and like that was initiation aggression, you come up and slap me and I burn your house down. Most people recognize, yeah, like, OK, he slapped you and maybe you had a right to slap him back or defend yourself. But um, you you went too far by burning his house down. These things do not equate. There's like if I steal ten dollars from you right. and then you steal a hundred dollars from me, that might be OK. Well, he stole ten dollars from you and he should have paid that back. Maybe he paid it back with a little bit of interest, but like he's, you know, he stole ten dollars from you, and now you stole a hundred or a thousand. People what understand there's that there's general. Uh, I, I asked for three to five minutes. Give me, give me some time here. Now, when people argue against these solutions, it's usually because like, okay, but what if, what if the culture, what if people are so depraved that they would, okay, but if the culture is that depraved, the the point I really want to drive home here. Is that a state doesn't make it better, right? Oh, no. Because politics is downstream of culture. No, so, no one is so, disagreeing with you on that. So, so but, 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 but that's my point, which is that like if you have a culture where it is the overwhelming norm that you wouldn't shoot a five-year-old for taking your apple, then you're you're that you that argument doesn't hold. What is the consequence for me shooting the five-year-old that stole from my apple cart? The parents are probably going to shoot you, dude. <laughs> okay, but I have a question for you. Hang on here. Hang on. Or here. they're going to hire a private security agency to come and, and, and there'll be other me. consequences. Okay, okay, fine then. And what happens when I shoot the parents then because they're coming to attack me? Because I felt entirely justified for shooting the five-year-old, that little bastard who stole an apple from me. I'm never going to, I'm going to make him an example. I'm really frightened for the five-year-old in my <laughs> community right be. now. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm saying is that you've opened a cycle of violence. You've opened that door for a cycle of violence there's in your always, system. There's always potential in any system. Right. That, like, there violence is. I have a violent. question for you. Violence, violence always begets violence. Like, yes, there's it always does. That hang on. Hang on. Hang on here. If, if I go and shoot that five-year-old in our current society, what's going to happen? SWAT team's going to come in thing. arrest my ass. The same thing. There's probably going to be 27,000 cameras that saw me do it. I'm going to get put away for life in a nice little box. I'm against the death penalty. Trust me. Um, we lost our host. Yes, we did. He just couldn't take it anymore. He figured that I was right. It's anarchy um, in here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know. Uh, thing, no, it's minarchy because you're outvoted. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hey, this is the other part though, that I get with the um the other part that don't I'm gonna get people, into with the road don't argument. Make people hop out, Archie. Yeah. Um, this is the part I'm gonna get with the with the road argument, and this is where I get to it. What is the barrier currently in the United States to have your rights to be able to move across a in a public square, publicly owned? If I sit there and I go ahead and, st and protest, do I have a right to protest? Do I have a right to redress the government? Do I have a right to go to the government and redress them? Maybe not Capitol Hill nowadays, but anyhow, you get the general point here that the, the government cannot stop me traveling on a public road. There's a very high bar for them to stop me from traveling. That usually involves putting you in jail. Okay, that's the ultimate. That's the one. I'm going to throw you in jail and then you can't travel anywhere. But that's the point that I get with the road argument is that a privately owned road is a great idea. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see that, especially on our highway system. But the reality is that there has to be a legislative piece behind it that says that we can't impede people's right to travel. But you balance that against the whole idea that I own that road and I have a responsibility. And if I let Mr. 17 time DUI on my road again, I may get sued because I let Mr. 17 time DUI back on my road. You're making the anarchist argument for. No, I'm not. I'm making, you are. I, you're, you're saying oh, that people that own the road would be incentivized to keep people who have a record of DUIs off of it because. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, why? Am, why is that? Why is that? It's not because, oh, well, I don't want people to die. It's because I don't want to get the shit suit out of me. Yeah, that's why. Free so how does that work. happen? That's why free markets work. How how does that happen in an anarchist because, society? Because what governments how? do is they actually shield corporations from liability. Rather oh, than anarchist I'm, society, there's no government bailing out the businesses from how liability. How do I file a lawsuit against somebody in an anarchist society for being wronged? There are there are so this is just name, I, I don't name. know if you have have you ever read the the vast doesn't matter what I read you should literature. be able to change me in a minute. I can explain my my anarchist no, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no. That's how the truth work. <laughs> the legitimate. The, yeah, yeah. The legitimate. The legitimacy of an argument is not um, uh, based in how quickly the argument can be made or how simple it is. Like simplicity does not equate to truth. Sorry, some things take a little bit longer to execute, okay. and I can't give you like the. The mountains of articles that have been written on the various ways that market law and private law and contracts would be developed in okay. a free market society okay. in five minutes in a podcast. Okay. Okay. Here's here's a simple thing. I sell you an apple. You agree to pay me one Bitcoin for that apple. I won't make you use a dollar because I'm not that evil. One Bitcoin? Holy yeah. shit. That's yeah, a lot it's of- It's a hell of an apple. <laughs> I mean, this is like- this is I'm using it as an example, but this is one hell of an apple. This is the best apple. It's laced with like Coke and everything else. So Brian you into like it and you're gonna fly. Okay. So if, if, an apple, apple, if an apple was actually worth one Bitcoin, maybe you should should, should shoot it by it. <laughs> but you just made another argument. Wait a minute, that apple's not worth <laughs> a ton of cash. Yep. So anyhow. If you and I have an, a disagreement on that, I can sell you that apple for that one Bitcoin. You go, you know what? This apple isn't worth one Bitcoin. This apple is worth 0.8 Bitcoin, and I want my 0.2 Bitcoin back. Okay. How does that get resolved in an anarchist society? Okay. So um, I would need a bit more context. So, like, okay. what, it's a private contract. A... Private contract. You and I don't agree on a so contract. I, you bought something. I delivered it. You didn't believe that what you bought was, was worth. There, was there a yeah. written contract? 
for yes, this. Yes, we'll make it sale. written. We will make okay. it a written contract well, and everything. Most else. people in an anarchist society, when they have a contract, there will be arbitration written into the contract. Okay, who does the arbitration? And who it who would agrees be? It would be a third party private court agreed upon in the arbitration of like in in the arbitration clause of the contract. It would be like we okay. agree on. Um, Google Court uh, Incorporated Google Court. Okay, is, going to, is going to be the uh, third-party arbitration if there's a violation of this contract. Okay, that's fine. So we have a third-party arbitrator. Um, I slipped in a piece there that said <laughs> that it only had to be hand. Let me just finish up this last piece. I slipped in a part that it must be held in a very in a specific location based on my availability. I suddenly am unavailable for the next 17 years. So I'm trying to make sure I understand. You're saying that you would not show up to arbitration because no, you you're unavailable? No, I've, I've put it in and said that until a mutually agreed, agreed arbitrator with this period on a mutually agreed to time. Okay. That's the, in the um, contract. That's in the contract. It doesn't, we don't, I mean, if, if we're going to Sheldon Cooper purchase of an Apple where we have a relationship agreement that's this thick that we have to go through every single time we do every single consensual transaction. Yeah, but I mean, again, this, yeah, this is what? kind of like you're, you're making, I think, again, the fallacy I've, I've been trying to avoid, which is, again, like, I don't think that for the most part, the sale of apples right. is going to need no. contract stuff. So, but, I mean, so it's not like when you say every transaction needs contracts that are this well, thick, it's like, well, not really, because there's a lot of there's a lot of transactions that people are going to make. And for the for the the vast majority of transactions go off without a hit, without a a, a, a problem at all. Now, for more complicated transactions that are about, you know, property or services that are worth a lot more than than an Apple, um, you know, th that's where contracts get more and more sophisticated. And in a uh, anarchist private law society, like people are going to know um, all the pitfalls to avoid. So, like, they're going to make sure that the arbitration clauses are written in a way that, like, yeah. you know, people, neither side is going to be able to come up with, I mean, now, now, now put it this way. Have most you... contract, most private courts and, and DROs, <laughs> dispute resolution organizations, are going to have language in the contract to avoid such pitfalls. Now, oh, if, they, okay. now, if, now get, get, get if, if, an, if a DRO or a private court system had a contract that had a loophole, well, guess what? That can be solved for like, for, here's the thing. Anarchy is not utopia. Sometimes people do shitty things and get away with it. Yeah. But the nice <laughs> thing about uh, an anarchist uh, private law system is that that private company goes, oh shit, this contract has this big loophole in it. But guess what? We can fix it. Yeah. We can, we can fix it. We and can, we can, and we can get better over time. We, and this is where, yeah. where markets are better at running I, courts and private yeah. security yeah. than the government. You're, I'm you're back. missing you're missing my point though on this where I think that government that governments are better than the markets. I am never going to disagree with you on that, okay? Markets are way more efficient, way more uh, nimble than a government will ever be. What I'm saying is that the lack of government in consensual relate in consensual transactions things like that sometimes is unfortunately what we call a necessary evil. Now, I know that word is probably a, a giant flame. Oh, my God. Brian loves the state. It just feels like you're making an assertion. Like, I, like, no. like you're, you're, you're putting the cart before the horse, like in this argument okay. where you're like, you're like, because I because 
basically it's and there's literally a meme like i remember my friend Stephen Rose made this meme mm-hmm. on his anarcho-christian page where he was like if oh, you can't explain how the free market can't solve every problem in society in oh, 10 no, minutes I... then that's why the state is a necessary evil it's like no, no like i don't agree i don't agree with that i can i can i can make the argument for for the the free trade argument in fact that was part of my master's work that i did with working on how free trade actually built bridges between a whole bunch of countries that really hated each other. If you recall, Israel and Saudi exactly weren't the best of friends for the last couple of centuries. Well, last century, really. But if you recall, that wasn't the case. But there's a lot of clandestine trade through Jordan that suddenly made things a lot more friendlier and that they knew that this business was going on, but that the Saudis had to stay out of it because all of a sudden it was going to affect like, you know, hospital equipment, the ability to take care of their populace, and what happened over time. I am never going to say that the markets are going to suck compared to the government. The government sucks. The idea here is is to have that portion of the state that we need for that 10% that's going to shoot the kid with the apple, okay, to be able to arrest them, as opposed to having some guy who says, I run an apple cart and I'm going to shoot the kid. And guess what? You know what? You can't do anything because I got my three guys here who are going yeah, to defend I just, I everybody. Just think, I just don't think yeah. you've proved that Let's... the market can't solve that that problem. Oh, I know the market can solve it, but your your argument was that the kids' parents are going to come back and blow my head off. All right, so Jacob, yeah. Brian, Brian, appreciate your thoughts. Archie yeah. and I are going to finish this off just because uh, I, I okay. think we've got I think we've got your your loop, your infinite loop here. Um, <laughs> for me. Look, I, 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 and of course I'm going to agree with Jacob on this subject because he's right. And plus he's, no, I'm kidding. He's an anarchist <laughs> and he's obviously we're on the same side here, but I, I find that this does happen a lot as well. The hypotheticals of anarchy are worse than actual anarchy themselves. What's funny is there's actually legitimate reasons to dislike anarchy based on what's happened in anarchy in the past. But usually these are not the, not, not the way it goes. So unfortunately, we as minarchists and anarchists have very few examples that we get to use of our system working out correctly um, because they just don't exist. Uh, literally, the Keynesian model of economics has taken over every single country in the entire planet. There's variations of it a little bit, but the Keynesian model is huge government. And there, and so even the smallest of these is a very small, big government, right? And so it's it's unfortunate, but this is what we have. What we do have, and so people will talk about that's not pure anarchy. That's not pure anarchy. Da, 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 pure. We're never going to get a pure example, but what we can do is look at specific examples when when there was not a regulation over something and see what happens. And, or we can take little moments of minarchy and anarchy and say, I think that we would see more of this if this were to happen. Um, I'm glad that Rhodes got brought up because this is one of my favorites as a libertarian to talk about because it is so frequent. Americans were asked their top two things that they're glad their taxes pay for. Number one was roads. Number two was parks. Um, and I love to talk about both of those because those are two things that people do a lot better outside of the state. Uh, in fact, the oldest and most well-maintained highway in the United States was made by farmers in a single day, uh, way back a long time ago. And it is a great example of saying there, there's a lot of fear. What if, what if all these farmers decided to make it and then said that only white people could use it or that only these people could use it or the, well, they'd have to enforce that and that would take work and it would cut down on their market and it would cut down on the very reason that people build roads to begin with, which is connectivity. 
right? And so there's actually a negative incentive there to begin with. Um, it's possible, as what Brian as what Brian said, if we were to go all contract, it's possible. The issue is is it's not likely, and I do not believe it would be frequent. However, if Brian decided to make such a thing, one of the things that I love the most about anarchy, if if the situation becomes like that, is the competitive nature of it. To say that I can leave because they had no, they did not mandate that I use their system. And so I'm able to just say like, your system sucks and I would leave. And I believe that I would not be the only one if they decided no Jacobs allowed, I would team up with Jacob. I would go team Jacob and be like, no, I'm not going to a place that says no Jacobs allowed on this road. You know, now this can work in ways that actually incorporated city. Are, <laughs> it could be or it could be a restriction on some things that i actually would agree with you know uh nobody wants child pornography on their social media websites and we could say no regulations ever 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 but people don't want it right you will lose more people by having it and so there are some uh you know is anarchy chaos no, because there's a tremendous amount of order in this chaos that naturally yes. abounds. Na this the natural order. Regulates. Hayek talks about this a lot, and I think he's got a lot of good points when he talks about it. Uh, Archie, I will let you close off with the minarchist point, and then we're going to get into a piece of our mind. So go ahead. Um, <clears throat> there were two points I wanted to rebut that Brian brought up, and I forget one of them. The one that I remember is that he said that if we have revolutions every 20 years or so, like Jefferson recommended, it would be very bloody. My only rebuttal to that is a revolution can be of ideas rather than blood and, and destruction, but a revolution of ideas and culture. And that brings me into a point that I think we've all either explicitly or implicitly brought up is that culture is vital to any method of how we're going to run things in a society. And in effect, I mean, how, how does the phrase go? Um, politics is downstream of culture. Uh, if, if you have a culture where five-year-olds are uh, shot for stealing apples, anarchy isn't going to fix that. Minarchy isn't going to fix that. You are in a truly screwed up society if you're shooting your five-year-olds for taking apples. I mean, that's just, that's a plain fact. You have much larger problems at see, that point in time. See, Brian, it, you it, keep putting Archie and me on the same side, okay? This no, I, I, it, 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 uh, oh, no one, you have a really screwed up society. There's 300 million people in just this country, 7 billion on this planet, and 1% of them are freaking psych psychopath insane. Do the numbers on that, okay? One out of every hundred people have, we have a significant numbers. psychosis, okay? You do the math. Oh, on I, I would like to round them up. No, go ahead, Archie. You, no, Archie you, you are so, permitted to finish your finish. point. You got so. The I feel one. like I feel like on a metaphorical level, the four of us are in a a structure fire in the North Pole. Okay, it's extremely hot inside, and, and the problem is the fire has gotten out of hand. But then there are people that are saying fire should never happen, and it's like you know, we're we're pointing out that yes, we're in a structure fire, and the fire right now is bad, but when we put this out, it's gonna get really super cold. So there's a balance that we have to 
you know, strike here. Fire is extremely useful if it's in, say, an internal combustion engine or, you know, a propane stove. You know, I, I prefer my eggs cooked in the morning when, uh, when I make scrambled eggs. If we didn't have fire or some other form of heat in a or, controlled method, uh, we're, we're capital building food. <laughs> but if but if we you just say capital we, building yeah. in Minecraft, just ca in Minecraft, guys. Yeah, not, not real. Life. Ignore Minecraft. There's no Somebody's getting a visit from the FBI tomorrow. In my minarchy, Minecraft is outlawed. Okay, so anyway, uh, the same. Oh wait, a minute, now you just lost me. <laughs> the same energy that we can use to cook with and start. You know, a house fire or a structure fire. So we have to be careful how we use these energies. Same thing with, okay, Samuel. <laughs> uh, same thing with. Um, Sam wrote, minarchists just want the, t or want just the tip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Anarchists want the full thing. I, Anyhow, I think continue. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> the, the same thing is true with how we we create you know the the balances of society and how laws are instituted um we we can go all in and 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 become north korea and say you know everything you do has to be approved by some central leader or we can say there's 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 no rules whatsoever and i know that's a straw man i'm just saying that's the opposite of that i'm not saying you want to go there jacob i understand that I'm just saying it's the exact opposite of, of complete centralization. Um, I think we should be the most decentralized we can be. I think we should have the most voluntary society we can while still coming together to uphold each other's actual rights. Cool. Yeah, for sure. And I Archie. would rather live in Archie's minarchy than... You know, like if anarchy is not possible, I'll live in Archie's minarchy over what we have now. Yeah, and that's, you, that's you, 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 do you understand? I'm still a minarchist. But I would not, love but to. But not Brian's. I won't live in Brian's minarchy. Because <laughs> no, no Jacob's allowed. Apples, and no Jacob's allowed. Yeah. <laughs> you, you realize. For, for the record, yeah. if you do the no Jacob's are allowed on your road rule, I'm um, digging up your asphalt, Brian. Okay. And, and I'm repurposing it. That's fine. You can do that, but that's my property. You've just violated my property. Hang on. You see what I did to the five-year-old? And Brian, Brian's got news. He's psychotic. Yeah, don't, don't mess with I, Brian. I just, there was one point I was going to make really quickly on this, and it's the one part that, that's most near and dear to me. Okay, There's a song by a band called 10,000 Maniacs. Most of you probably know them, I hope. Um, talks about, uh, about we lived on Morgan Street, um, heard them screaming every day, and things like that, the kid, the father yelling, the mother yelling at these kids. And the lyric says, you know, basically goes, um, you know, basically, uh, he's your kid, do as you see fit. Society 30 years ago, that was the that was society back then. Okay. How does society handle something like that that's acceptable by society now and handle that later on in a minarchist world? Because Again, you could say culture changes, and that's a great idea. Culture does change, and culture did drive a lot of this, but the laws were ahead of culture in a lot of cases, especially when it comes to child abuse. Cool. Thank you all uh, so much for your thoughts there. I'm going to give us a break, and then we are going to be right back with a piece of my mind.
Thank you so much for hanging through the break, everybody. Uh, peace of my mind. Now, we went overtime on the discussion today, which is totally acceptable. I mean, it's it's a big discussion. It's one that anarchists love a lot, and minarchists love to lose a lot. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm just messing with you guys. Uh, anarchy, uh, minarchy is fun to talk about, but now it's time to get into something else. So usually we get about 10 minutes apiece because there's four of us and there's even less time. We're going to have to cut this back to talking about each piece, like maybe five to six minutes ish. So just, just to show some expedience here, fellers, I'll get it started with here. Uh, I want to talk about Andrew Cuomo. Uh, I, I really strongly, uh, I have always disliked him. Um, I was part of the Larry Sharp, Sharp campaign that got rid of, uh, that wanted to get rid of him and uh, was not successful. Now here's the thing. You could have had Larry Sharp, New York, and you got Cuomo instead. The argument this was the lesser evil. When is the evil that's actually lesser going to show up? Because the argument is that this is going to be a little bit less evil. And I think if that were actually true, you would get a lot of libertarians to join you if things were actually less evil than the guy before. But what keeps happening? Immigration gets worse. Foreign affairs get worse. Uh, and, and this is, and I'm not, I, I'm not trying to make this all about the president, but I just think Andrew Cuomo is a specifically great example about this because you just say he got worse as he kept running for office and he kept feeling that power and he kept feeling that nothing could touch him. Nothing could stop him. He still could be right. Frankly, uh, I don't know what will happen. Um, he got he murdered something upwards of 10,000 people with his executive orders. That's not really even up for debate. Uh, he covered it up. He tried to cover it up, at least. You don't try to cover up murders you're not responsible for. So um, that I mean, that's just offhand, right? Made a bad policy, got got five digits of people killed. And so that's that sexually harassed dozens and dozens Harvey Weinstein like numbers and we people kept ignoring it. We kept looking the other way. These stories kept coming out and kept coming out and kept coming out. And we just keep saying, Oh, that's terrible. That's too bad, I guess. But at least he's not a Republican. Like what? At some point you just have to wake up and say, you have to know, you have to have a limit. And I think that this is something that when we talk to normie friends of ours, is I, I think that there it's fair to ask to say, hey, I know you're not, maybe you're not a libertarian, maybe you're not an anarchist, maybe you're not a minarchist, whatever it is, whatever you are, what's your limit for when you say, you know what, I'm cool with the lesser evil until the lesser evil does blank. And I think that we, it's appropriate to ask because I think there's a time when they say, hey, when they murdered, you know, 10 to 100,000 people based on executive action, that's a line. That I'm going to say, that I'm going to say, no, we don't cross that. Like we don't do that, and I won't go that far. That's too much evil. I'm I, I support the lesser evil. As soon as we talk about genocide or something, that's when I'm out, because we're starting to cross a lot of these, especially with Andrew Cuomo. That, and there are folks who I think Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden have called for him to resign, um, among some others, but. It, the passion isn't there like the like the cries were for like Trump to resign, right? And at some point, you got to be like, where is your intellectual honesty? Where is your intellectual integrity? Where is your line that you won't cross? Where is the point where you say, I'm not going to do it anymore? 
Andrew Cuomo's sexual harassment is despicable. And I, I, it's not really a topic for debate. Everybody knows he's a scumbag. But the issue is our system isn't doing anything to deal with it right now. It may not do anything to deal with it. He may step down, maybe. But if you sexually harass somebody, shouldn't, shouldn't something more than just saying, oh, you can't be a politician anymore, now go to the private sector, write some books, and make, make a few million dollars? That's disgusting. He's a, he's, a, he's a despicable human. And I think that anybody that accepts anything that he says, you should treat with some concern. And I don't want to say treat them like they're trash, because I'm sure people had their reasons for voting for Cuomo. But I do want to point out that at some point that reason has to dissipate and just say that this is a bad person. Um, this person has functionally murdered people and functionally sexually harassed people. And it. Uh, when I was reading the report, one of the big reasons that it actually went forward is because one of the people he sexually harassed was a police officer or was a cop. And of course, the state doesn't like you effing with other people of the state. You mess, you molest, you know, 1,000 plus, you know, future gymnastics people before you get caught if you're Larry Nasser. but you mess with one person. If you, you know, if one of them's a cop, then all of a sudden now we got some problems and now they're not going to have your back anymore. And so he's losing the support of the police because one of the people he's sexually harassed was a police officer. And that's one of the reasons why this is kind of new. And the, of course, the AG is determined that he did, he is guilty of sexual harassment. Now they're saying, but should we press charges on this one? Man, like imagine if this was your like restaurant. I worked in restaurants and so I'm, I'm familiar with this. And somebody just kept sexually harassing people and murdered a couple of your customers in the restroom. At what point do you fire them? Do you say this needs to never happen again? I... I I am done. Uh, Andrew Cuomo is terrible. But if you're listening to this and you just think, you know, where is that? I, I, I think that if you're a, a normie and that's totally cool, or if you have normie friends, it's totally fine. But just ask them where their line is and then hold them to it next time it comes up to just say like, hey, because this will come up again. You know, I, I imagine that Joe Biden is well past where anybody's line in the sand would be who voted for him had we asked before the election. The problem is, is if you don't ask, then they can move their own goalposts because nobody saw where the goalposts were before, right? So then they can move them and then say like, well, no, I voted for him because of this, this, and this reason. So really get to know your friends, ask them, talk with them, because the more you talk about it, you can say like, hey, remember when you said you voted for Joe Biden because you thought he was going to let all the drug offenders out of prison? Remember when you said you voted for Andrew Cuomo because you said you wanted, you know, women's equality in New York? What do you think now? And it puts you, it, by having these conversations, you, you're, we're talking about a long-term strategy here. You don't have to make the point now, but the point gets made later. And I think that Andrew Cuomo is just a really good example of this because we, uh, I spent a lot of time talking to New Yorkers about Andrew Cuomo. And these were a lot, and a lot of the things that he's doing are directly against the things that people said they were voting for him for. And so these are the type of things that we have to say, okay, there's your line. I got it. Let me get back to in a few years. And after he crosses that line, ask if you're still going to be consistent with that line, you know, because I think that that's one of the ways that people can call themselves out. They get some method of accountability. It's not that they're bad people. Everybody moves their own goalposts if they don't write it. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of motivational speakers tell you to write your goals down. 
write your what your plan is down. Otherwise, you're going to move your goalposts. I'll work out tomorrow. I'll work out next week. I'll work out next month. I'll work out next year. You write it down so that you say like, oh, I wrote down Tuesday. It's going to be Tuesday. Um, go ahead and swing around the table. Anybody comments about uh, Andrew Cuomo? Hey, um, if you go on CNN right now and take a look, uh, the more important stories right now uh, compared to Andrew Cuomo are my pillow CEO's most outrageous theory yet. Okay, good, good to know. Good. Uh, people are flocking to Applebee's. Mm -hmm. uh, also good to know. Uh, the new seriousness of Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, Cuomo may have doomed himself. That that that's where you get to it. Uh, about you know four or five down. whole page down. Okay, the failure in this is on. So many different fronts, it's not even funny. Our media yep. is one job, one job only, and that's to be the eyes and ears on what's going on in the world, especially in government. Um, that used to be an honorable position. I think we're done with it being honorable. Um, what's going on right now with the whitewashing of Cuomo's acts, which would get any of us fired from our jobs? Am I wrong? No, we'd mm -hmm. all be we'd all be uh, in and probably in jail, mm -hmm. uh, especially if you, quote, went up to your person that was protecting you and said, quote, can you help me find a girlfriend? Uh, my criteria is finding someone who can handle pain. And that was witnessed. <sighs> we would all be fired. But again, the more important thing is, by the way, Applebee's is up and my pillow CEO is saying some outrageous shit. Please watch 10 o'clock and Don Lemon. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Arch, Archie, Jacob, anything that you have to add about Cuomo? I, I, uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to say what I want to say because this podcast is, uh, more family friendly than not, I will simply say <laughs> oh, I that, do that it's over. Steel bars <laughs> should be in this man's future for the rest of his life. Amen. Yeah. Um, on, on the subject of the CNN thing, uh, just as, as a side note here, Chris Cuomo, his brother, obviously works for CNN. CNN's not in hot water, but Chris Cuomo is because they actually said, Hey, do you want to take a break so you can help your brother? He said, No. He helped his brother anyway. He said, I'm sorry I helped my brother a little bit. And now these recent reports are finding out they helped him a lot of it, including how to publicly slander somebody who made an accusation against you, a verified accusation against you, and oh. uh, making speeches on how to call women liars in a believable way. Yay, Chris. Yay, CNN. Oh, oh ahead, and did you notice the one part where some former Cuomo staffer who's now a Facebook executive leaked the intimate details of the one of their accusers to Cuomo so that that could be leaked to the media of one of his accusers. I did see it. Thanks. Somebody worked for Facebook, Facebook, right? Yeah. Somebody Facebook. worked for Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Glad you're protecting our privacy. Preach, preach. Uh, Jacob, uh, give us a piece of your mind. Uh, wasn't prepared for this segment. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't... I don't have anything that's really coming to mind, I, I guess. I mean, I, I would say um, I'm, I'm a little I'm a, I'm a little irritated lately um, just with how little uh, coverage there is with stuff going on in, in the Middle East 
you know, I'm oh, ongoingly yeah. angry about that though. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're at the point now where, um, you know, uh, there are people being deployed to the Middle East who were not even alive when like 9-11 happened. You know what I mean? So it's just, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm tired of especially, you know, I, I think some people are starting to wake up to it, but even then it's just, it, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, ongoingly amazed and astounded at the, uh, the level of of depravity and uh you know awfulness that our our government uh authorizes you know in in the name of ending you know opposing terrorism you know what i mean so i just you know we, we get a lot of times um caught up in you know you, you talked about like the stuff that cnn's talking about um you know, like like the the, the the priorities being out of whack. And the Cuomo story, is, you know, that's, you know, the stuff he did is definitely awful and needs to be exposed. I mean, no, no argument there. Um, but, um, you know, the human rights violations going on in the Middle East right now are just, I mean, uh, you know, heartbreaking. I mean, just completely. And, you know, I don't want to get back into to the debate, but I mean, one of the reasons I'm so against the state is because of, the uh the ability to wage war i mean at, at my heart as a christian I, I you know i'm very much anti-violence you know I, I believe in self-defense but i just i you know i'm very very anti-violence and I'm, I'm i'm always bugged when people overlook the stuff going on in the middle east but i'm, I'm especially frustrated at you know my fellow christians who somehow you know try to connect jesus when he said turn the other cheek to, you know, dropping bombs on, you know, children in the Middle East. So, you know, I mean, I don't have anything more specific to say other than that. That's something that's been weighing on my mind a lot lately, just thinking about, you know, where we are at this point in history. And, you know, I mean, just when you think about the the government and the war on terror, like it is the perfect war because it doesn't have a clear mission accomplished. Like, you know, World War World War Two, the war in Vietnam, the Korean War, like a lot of these wars we can criticize, but at least they had like there was a point where you could say, Oh, we won. The war on terror, like, I don't I don't know. Like is there a conceivable end in sight? And when people even libertarians start to go, Oh, you know, like when like with the entire four years of Trump, it was like there were some libertarians who were holding out hope that Trump was gonna bring the troops home. And I was like, Yeah. Yeah, right. But then as soon as Biden took office, there's some people like, oh, he said he's going to have them out of Afghanistan by this date. It's like, yeah, right. And, and, that, and like, even if he does, like, they're not coming home. They're just going from one one location to another. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the war in the Middle East is something that we can't lose sight of. Um, you know, there's a lot of people right now talking about the lockdowns that, that are being threatened again and COVID passports and all that and important issues too, completely important issues to talk about. Um, extremely anti-lockdown, extremely anti, you know, the idea of vaccination passports being pushed by, by any government uh, agency. Um, but uh, a lot of this stuff that the state does is uh, theater to distract us mm -hmm. from the truly awful atrocities that they commit. And, um, we have to sometimes, you know, and, and like even like a lot of the libertarian infighting pisses me off because I'm just like, guys, we're we're getting so caught up in in what like if we try to explain what we're fighting about to 
some Iraqis or some people mm. living in Afghan or people living in Yemen. They look at us and going like, okay, cool. Like my, 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 my wife died in my arms yesterday. My neighbors were blown to bits yesterday. You know what I mean? So like, we got to have some pr- pr- perspective, you know, and um, you know, yeah. let's, let's, let's try to, you know, I guess like, you know, let's, let's not get distracted at the stuff the state wants us to get distracted by. Let's, let's continue to, to put the heat on them, to put their feet to the fire for, for the uh, barbaric evil that continues on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Brian, you're chomping at the bit here. Go ahead. Oh, it's re- Oh no, I'm, I'm hundred percent agreeing with Jacob and the, mm-hmm. my chalk him. Um, right now I was just pulling up some stats from the VA, which, you know, I trust the VA stats. That. <laughs> yeah. I trust the VA stats by as much as I trust Trump in his electoral counting. Um, so the, the reality is they're saying that 11 to 12% on average of our people are coming home with PTSD. Uh, PTSD is terrible and it's something that's entirely avoidable, uh, especially for our veterans, because if they're not being bombed or bombing people, probably not going to develop too much PTSD. So I'm a big fan of stopping us bombing the Middle East, replacing a lot of the problems that they have in those countries with free market solutions. We talked last week about Cuba. Best thing we could do would be end the embargo. The best thing we can do in those other countries is to stop them from bombing like Yemen, Afghanistan, uh, Iran, as much as the global world would love to go ahead and take Iran out. Um, is going to be an insanely bloody war. So uh, we'd love to see that end in our lifetime. But, hang on. Did you want me to go into mine, Hody? Is Hody frozen? Yeah, guys? actually, yeah. I think Hody is frozen or I have stunned him into silence. <laughs> this is awesome. frozen, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm going to go in my piece of my mind uh, real quick. So, Mine's mine's really simple. Oh my god! Oh my. <laughs> oh, we're no. all doomed. Not, I did not consent to this. <laughs> Duel, Hody. I'm apparently appearing twice. Hody, Hody. Yeah. I wonder what happens if I remove this old Hody from the stream. This could kick my. Oh, oh. I thought no, I'm 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 doing the silence. You're just sitting there, just like. <laughs> I was like. It wasn't that great. It wasn't that terrible. Okay, thanks, Odie. Um, yeah. my mine is my my piece of my mind. I'll just jump into it real quick. Here's Corey Bush. Uh, I don't know if you saw her today. Uh, she she went ahead and came out uh, during a believe in MS, MSNBC uh, prompt uh, about defunding the police. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of defunding the police. I'd love to do, but to defund the police, I think is probably a little drastic. But she said probably one of the most elitist things out there. And said, I'm going to make sure I'm going to have security. But you know what? So defunding the police still has to happen. Wait a minute. You're going to go take your position, your your salary, or the government's money to protect yourself. But tell the people of your district, good luck. <laughs> oh, by the way, and you can't have guns. Thanks for playing. Um, one of the most elitist things you could think of, and thankfully a lot of people are coming back on her. Um, but it, it is just funny to watch this kind of just unfold. Yes, there are a lot of things I would love to defund the police, especially when it comes to the drug war. Um, I would love to see them get better training. Uh, I know that probably triggers a lot of 
bad things for people. Um, but I don't think all cops are bad. Um, I don't think all cops are good. Uh, just like humanity and society, there, there's, you know, some real problem people. And there are some people that turn their eyes when something terrible happens, turn the other cheek. So I'm glad this one that was getting her enough attention to where hopefully it will be played as a recurring sound bit when she runs for election. However, I think it's going to get completely Cuomo'd by tomorrow. Yeah, Cory Bush is paying a high price for this one. Uh, I mean, when even CNN and Fox News are both like teaming up to dunk on you, you know, like you you pretty much stepped in it, right? You're not making any but, friends. But it gave them a great excuse not to talk about Cuomo. It did. It did. And they're using it. And it is, um, I, it was one of those speeches that kind of made me wonder if she's like, okay. It was like a bit like incoherent, you know, like type, like. Oh, like me. Um. Well, like, and I want to be nice and I'm not trying to make this about like mental illness or anything. Cause that's like not something funny, but it, it seemed like something where you're just like, Whoa, like, like, and maybe it's not mental, but like drinking or like, you know, maybe if you take a Valium at the wrong time or something, mm. I don't know. Like it just seemed like something was really off and we get that so few times because most of the time politicians are so protected and guarded and everything. And so this was a very much like a, like, uh, yeah, you know, all, uh, I mean, to put it in the Cuomo thing, remember when he's like, oh, if COVID's affected you, you should just go get another job. It's so easy, right? If we fired you from your job, you just go get a new job. Whereas Cory Bush is like, yeah, if we take away your defense, I'll just defend myself. You can probably do it too, right? With all like, of your resources. Like celebrities that were like, you know, hey, everyone just stay home for, for months on end. But like yeah, they yeah. have these giant mansions they live yeah. in and they're partying with all their friends yeah. and stuff anyway. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. And none of them opened them up, even the extra wings to let the people in that were homeless during COVID. I mean, this is a simple thing. They could have had a hell of a tax write-off, but none of them wanted to do it. Oh, well. Did I just lose Hody again? Oh, no. <laughs> okay, Hody, every time I, I talk, it stuns Hody so much, Hody. I just shut up. You, 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 you need to stop doing this to Hody, man. That's just... <laughs> This is a violation of the NAP, Brian. I am contracting my private security force, and they are they He's are en route to your house right now. Do you have audio? All right. Well, before my internet just gives out completely, because obviously that's the direction things are going. Uh, Jacob, I did want to comment on yours a little bit. You're absolutely right with your with like a global idea of liberty. America is actually not the place that libertarianism is thriving the best right now. And it's hard because I think as an American mindset, we tend to think of ourselves as like the centerpiece for freedom, but like it is, yeah, like US, yeah, freedom, USA and all us or whatever. And you know what, that may be true among some things, but there are other things that we're just not doing it well at. And there are other places where libertarians are doing really well. Um, Brazil notably has a huge pocket of them. Um, Cuba has a huge pocket of libertarians. And so we're over here fighting, you know, the one, two, three percent fights. And there's some countries that are fighting the 10 to 20 percent fight. And it's important to connect with those people because their their perceptions and their experiences are really awesome. Um, I'm very much an American. Yes, they got him. <laughs> uh, okay, mental note. I'll go out and help Hody fix his internet. <laughs> but wow. anyhow, we'll go and get Archie. Do you want to do your piece of mind? 
Mic check, mic check. Yep, you're good. Okay, so <clears throat> I I really wasn't sure what I was going to do for a piece of my mind tonight. And then I realized that there's a, a thread I want to write tomorrow to commemorate. Um, and as the saying goes, uh, all politics is local. I challenge everyone to get involved in politics because in the nuclear age, all politics is global. Tomorrow is the 76th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima, where 64 kilograms of uranium were mixed with Einstein's E equals MC squared into a man-made sunrise at 8.15 a.m. Hiroshima time, August 6, 1945, and 80,000 to 100,000 lives were snuffed out in one instant with the single largest bomb to date, um, only matched uh, three days later at Nagasaki. Um, we now have bombs that make these look like toy firecrackers. We have, you know, we have nine states with nuclear bombs. Um, at least four of those have nuclear triads. So that's, you know, strategic bombers, ICBMs, and SLBM capability. We have two states that each have close to 2,000 weapons ready and mounted on delivery systems to fight a war within the next hour. And that next hour could be this hour, or it could be an hour from now, or it could be three in the morning, or it could be any time of day. And this is why I say all politics is global, at least for Americans, at least for you know the people that can change this before we go over the edge. You know, there are people in the third world that, you know, they struggle day to day. They can't change anything. We have to do it for them. We have to think about the implications of American empire and the fact that essentially humanity is standing in, in a, a puddle of gasoline up to our waist and you've got America with a lit match and you've got Russia with a lit match and you've got China with some lit matches and France, the UK, you know, India and Pakistan. There are actual reports modeling in India-Pakistan small nuclear war where you have 50 bombs released each. The number of people dead due to nuclear winter famine after a small war between those two powers would absolutely eclipse everything in human history. To say nothing about the fact that we are playing with, uh, you know, suicide as as a, a species if Russia and the United States touch it all off. So on the 76th anniversary of Hiroshima, if we were to stay silent, if we were to have a moment of silence where one second 
was equal to the death of one Japanese person at ground zero, we would have to be silent all day tomorrow. So okay. let's 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 not, you know, pretend ourselves that our politicians have any clue what they're doing. We have to go out and remind them that these weapons are still there and that because they are assholes, we have to hold them accountable. Um I, I Odie, this is a completely different episode. Um the, uh, the, I think nuclear it, bombs, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I I sure. I, I, I've been reading this book. Atomic Salvation. Yes. Um, and by who? By Thomas, Tom Lewis. He's an Australian writer. Went through and did the numbers on how many people would have died if we didn't use the bombs. Uh, as someone who would not be standing here, most likely, my grandfather was a reconnaissance pilot in World War II. Flew over most of Germany. Got shot at many times, survived it, was getting ready to be shipped over to the pa uh, to the Pacific uh, Theater when those two bombs were dropped. He probably wouldn't have survived. Uh, we can go into the details because we're running out of time, I know. Um, just uh, just a side note here, we were losing about three, we were losing about 450 people just a day in general conflict where we weren't even invading the islands. Uh, that doesn't even count the big days of Okinawa going into all Saipan, Philippines, anything like that. Um, the Japanese were losing about 3,000. So if you want to be quiet for all the people that died in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I agree with you. It was a tragedy. But then if we went ahead and did that to Japan, like we did to defeat that empire and also the German empire, we'd have to be quiet all friggin' week, maybe all month, because that's what would have happened. Uh, I mean, I, so I haven't, I haven't run the numbers and Brian, obviously you having re read a book about it or, and are reading a book about it, you're going to know, you're going to have more information than this than me. Um, nuking and blowing up an innocent person, uh, I believe is always wrong. And so, uh, I, I don't, Amen. I, I would love to think of another solution. I don't know. Oh, that I, I, have, I don't, I, I, I don't know, Brian, we'll have another episode about this. We can talk about other things we could have done to Japan uh, or specifically to the people responsible for, you know, the, the attack on American lives. Can I also just but say yeah. that, um, go ahead, Jacob. Prevention is better than cure. Oh yeah. And so, sure. I mean, as much as we, we like, we should do this episode at some point and yeah. we'll definitely have a major clash on it. But as much as we can debate over how best to end a war once it starts, we should also be infinitely more focused on, preventing wars before they even break out and world war two right. was an entirely preventable war oh absolutely. So world war one was an entirely preventable war and so we, we can't lose sight of that all, almost all the big wars were entirely preventable because they were made by by terrible decisions and terrible reactions knee-jerk reactions uh 9-11 was a knee-jerk reaction we think they're there we sat there for five days trying to figure out where they were and then we just started bombing random places in afghanistan because you know what we think he's there and that might make us feel better um and, and here we are today 20 years later and this is it this seems is why i'm so that's why i'm so for open borders and free trade because oh, yeah. if if oh, you do yeah. not have free travel of people and goods bombs and troops will travel across instead yeah and until uh, we until we get to a point where people 
where, where, where we normalize social cooperation and free trade and, and we, we, you know, like we have to stop, we have to take the gun off the table and stop normalizing the use of, of the military as a solution for any problem, whether it's domestic or, or geopolitical. Like we, we just, we, we, you know, and I think all of us here, from, even from our different backgrounds and disagreements on, on some of these, these uh, specific issues, we, we agree on that. Yeah. Free, free trade fixes a lot of problems. Like I talked about earlier, the free, the, the, Black market trade between Saudis and the Israels, uh, Israel, Israelis, uh, between Egypt and Israel has diffused more war than, I mean, because when I was growing up in the 80s, um, war with Saudi Arabia was, I mean, Israel was a given. Uh, war between the Soviets and the United States was a given. And the Russians going broke, Soviet Union going broke, and Glasnost uh, fixed a lot of that. So, yeah, you're right, Archie. It is pretty terrifying that we have all that. Uh, somebody with a madman could put, start a nuclear war very easily, but that genie's out of the bottle. So I, I don't know how we put it back in, seeing as how it is far more complicated to make an iPhone than it is a nuclear weapon. The um, I read a book about uh, Robert J. Oppenheimer, and uh, there was a moment when the government uh, was like, here's the thing. Robert J. Oppenheimer is sympathetic with other communists and socialists. And if you get if you allow him to do, continue doing this research that you won't have a nuclear bomb without him, because, yeah. in fact, even his colleagues wrote a letter saying mm. well, this won't get done without him. So Fermi was pretty good. Fermi was helping things. I, there's, uh, I did a lot of research in this when I was younger. So sure, 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 sure. It and his colleagues could have just been like having his back or something. No, like they that. did. But yeah, but they wrote that it, it might not have been possible without him, or at least not possible in time, uh, yeah, which was right. a big issue. Which as was well. the issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they're like, we need him at his fullest. And the, and the government actually had to make a gambit, and they said, well, we know if we let him continue, that the Soviets will get their hands on nukes as well. People who hate yeah. us get their hands on nukes. And they said. I guess we have to let them get their hands on nukes. <laughs> the, the, and Soviets, so, <laughs> the, the Soviets already penetrated the Manhattan Project back in 43. Yeah. They'd already penetrated it and already were getting information out. And it, as I said, it's not that hard to build a nuclear bomb. If I have plutonium right now, I could probably, with a machine shop, build one in a weekend. Brian, you psychopath. In my right. <laughs> Archie, I'm going to let you finish off this because you brought it up. We hijacked it a little bit. I'll let you finish your point and then we'll say goodbye. I would simply say that... Uh, we need to bring that awareness to our our activism and our politics because if we don't no one else will there was a miracle that happened on september 26 1983 stanislav petrov was in the chain of of command mm -hmm. on the soviet side and he decided to think like a human being. And he said, this doesn't make sense. I'm not passing this up the chain of command. And he prevented what probably would have been a total nuclear war. At that time, there were probably 55,000 warheads between the Soviet Union and the US. Currently mounted to systems, there's less than 4,000. There's about 3,800. 55,000 nuclear bombs, each of them larger than Hiroshima or Nagasaki. That's not sane. That is literally mad. 
That is literally the mutually assured destruction of the entire human race. And that's why we need to be aware of this. And that's why we need to make other people aware of this so that we can unbuild these terrible things. As, as Sting said, I hope the Russians love their children too. Uh, and uh, I don't love communist. I don't love Sting on everything, but darn it, is he right on that one? Everybody, thank you so much for joining. I know this was a hot topic, but you, we managed to make it very uh, pleasant. Everybody who viewed, I appreciate you sticking around with us till the end. Archie, Brian, Jacob, you're all fantastic people. Everybody listening, we love you very much. Enjoy the rest of your evening. <laughs>